Hello, you're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Reading Revelation 21 verses 1 through to 8 this evening. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. As I say, I have one last text that I want to leave by way of encouragement that I think encompasses what we've sought to consider in these last number of months. This book is written to a church under intense pressure suffering great persecution, and they are struggling to hold on to what they have once held by conviction. And the Lord comes through John and gives them visions that will strengthen them as they seek to overcome. They have that exhortation. And you think of the words of the churches in chapters 2 and 3, how the encouragements are given to those who overcome. As those exhortations come, they're also they're, they're brought with the encouragement of seeing Christ reigning and Christ who will indeed have the final victory. And we are reminded again that Christ reigns over all. The Lamb that was slain sits upon the throne. We're showing even these uh, latter chapters, we're seeing that Christ has the victory over beasts and dragons and deceivers. Nothing can overthrow Christ's reign. And why is there maybe difficulties understanding why all these things apply in human history? The very clear message is that Christ is victorious and will triumph over all forever and forever. And so the church and their suffering, they are encouraged by a sight of Christ in all his majesty. And they're encouraged as they see Christ, they're encouraged by the blessings that he promises some of those blessings are offered even to those upon their death. And whilst they are souls in the presence of God in heaven, there are wonderful blessings enjoyed by those who are parted from their bodies for a season, waiting for the resurrection. And so to be with Christ is far better. We see that in Revelation. To be with Christ is exceedingly precious. 
And yet there are also blessings that will come in the eternal state, in that physical state when believers are reunited with their bodies and live with Christ forever and ever. And in these final chapters, the final two chapters, we are shown the beauty of the glorified, triumphant church. And we are shown, verse number one, a new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Now, the student of Scripture will immediately in their minds read those words and think of the words of Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, when he describes the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night, and the heavens passing away with a great noise, and the elements melting with fervent heat. The earth also and the works therein shall be burned up. The day of the Lord, the day of the Lord coming as a thief. And it corresponds again to the first heaven and the first earth passing away. And so Peter tells us that we're to look for and hasten the coming of the day of God. And as we do so, we're looking for the promise. The promise of new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And so a day is coming, a day of Christ's return, when the first heaven, the first earth will pass away, and there will be this new heavens and this new earth. That day corresponds with the church coming from heaven. Verse 2, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And when you hear the language of a bride and her husband, it takes us back to last time when we thought about Revelation chapter 19 and the marriage supper of the Lamb, the Lamb being the groom and the church being the bride and the joyful consummation of that in the final state. And so as the new heavens and the new earth come and the church comes down from heaven upon earth, we have the glory of the church as a bride adorned for her husband, sanctified, no spot, no wrinkle. At that point, verse 4 tells us that as God wipes away all tears from our eyes, that there shall be no more death. And so we put all this together. These are very important verses. Christ comes. There is the bringing in of the new heavens and the new earth. And death is no more. Hence the saints have been raised. No more resurrection that has occurred. And those who are resurrected from the dead will never, ever die. The immortality of the resurrected saints in the presence of Christ. That's what we're seeing here. Be encouraged by these things. The former things are passed away. And so we are reading about the eternal bliss and the joy of the glorified church. You see, there are several ways in which we are encouraged to walk with God on this world. We're encouraged, certainly, with the sight of the glorified Christ. We are encouraged with the promise of blessing if we face death. But we're also encouraged by the sight of those blessings that still await us. And we should live consciously aware of all the promises of God in the eternal states. That they shouldn't be remote from our understanding. They should be precious to us. And they should motivate us to endure and to overcome. And so verse number 7 gives us this promise. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. What a promise this is to a church that is struggling, 
clearly it is being written to those who are wrestling and fighting the fight of faith. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. It's being given to those who are struggling to hold on. They're holding on to faith by their fingertips and they're wrestling against everything the world throws at them to hold on to Christ Jesus. Now we know and you know that they're doing this by faith and by the Spirit of God, not in their own strength, but it is a recognition of the trouble they were facing. Again, I simply refer you back to the first chapters, chapter 2 and 3, when you see the troubles the churches were encountering. Things are no different today. We live in days of widespread wickedness. We do not live in a Christian country. We live in the midst of secularism. And we are bombarded with all manner of ungodliness. And our minds are being inundated with things that deny the faith. And we've got to fight the fight of faith. And as we fight the fight of faith, hear the promise of God. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. A promise that awaits the end of the age, the coming of Christ Jesus. Well, as we look at this promise, I just three words that I want to really use to hang my thoughts on tonight. The word covenant, uh, the word confidence, and the word contrast. Just those three words will help, help us understand what is taught in this verse. First of all, then, there is the word covenant. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Now, if you are uh, perhaps the very first time reading the Bible, and the first verse you read is Revelation 21, uh, well, you will hear something that is joyful. But if you've read through the Bible, and you start it in Genesis, and you get to this point, you'll be overjoyed at the language that is used here in this chapter. This is language steeped in the language of God's covenantal promises. You get a hint in verse number 3 that God and his tabernacle will be with men and God himself shall be with them and be their God. That's the covenantal refrain. I will be their God and they shall be my people. But verse number 7 doesn't in the latter part take us back so those promises, it takes us back particularly to the promise of God to David. The promise that we in this church looked at last Lord's the evening. The promise of 2 Samuel chapter 7, where in verse number 14, the text says, God says to David through Nathan about Solomon, I will be his father, he shall be my son clearly drawing from the promise that God made with David. In similar language, when the Davidic covenant is referred to in Psalm 89, it says this, Thou art my father, my God. I will make him my firstborn. And so you have, in the language of the Davidic covenant, particular promises regarding adoption. Well, we didn't highlight this in the Lord's the evening, but it's clearly there. God makes covenant with David, and part of that covenant is that David will be a son unto God, adopted into the family of God. And so the covenant is made with David, and it's made with David's sons, all the way down to Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, who is the Son of David. And you see in Christ the fulfillment of these promises. And yet here, wonder of wonders, 
The promise made to David is now extended to all true believers that God will be their God and we will be his sons. How is that possible? Surely we are not in the Davidic covenant. We're not sons of David in the flesh. No, we're not, but we, we're in Christ Jesus. And Christ is the son of David, and we're in union with Christ. Therefore, as Christ is the son of David and the son of God, so we are in union with him, and we are thereby, thereby we are very much the sons of God, adopted into the family of God, a kingdom of priests, priests and kings, sons of David. What a joyful promise this is. This is covenantal language. And what is true of sons? Sons, they have the inheritance, don't they? They are the heirs of the Father, heirs and joint heirs with Christ in the language of Romans chapter 8. And so when it says here, he that overcomes shall inherit all things, that again is drawing upon covenant the language that the Son has the promise of an inheritance, a certain inheritance. Now this ties back again to the covenantal promises of God. I did a very simple search just on my own, my own computer concordance, and I put in three words, inherit, inheritance, or heirs, just as three words, and there were 667 verses. It's the sort of level of, of language there is involved in such a search. Multiple references. And so you go back to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Of course, so many of the inheritance language used in the Bible speaks of the people of God inheriting things. Inheriting these things, of course, that are promised to them in Canaan. The promised land, their inheritance. They came out of Egypt to get their inheritance. But of course, it goes back to Abraham, or Abraham, Genesis chapter 15, and the verse number 7. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Part of God's dealings and grace with Abraham was the promise that he would inherit the land. An inheritance promised to him in the covenant that God made with Abraham. It's interesting that Romans chapter 4, when Paul uses Abraham as an example of faith, he says, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through, faith, through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Abraham's promise goes way beyond, goes way beyond Israel, goes way beyond the promised land. He is promised to be the heir of the world, of the land, in the largest sense of that term. It's a wonderful concept. It is that principle of Abraham's being given the promise of the land that uh, again draws the language of Psalm 37. If you turn to Psalm 37, I'm skipping all of the references uh, to the inheritance that draws all the way through Exodus and uh, all the way through Joshua, and you see multiple times. But Psalm 37, verse number 9 says, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. 
Or the verse number 11, But the meek shall inherit the earth. Verse number 18, the, the Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. Verse number 22, For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. Verse number 29, The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. Verse number 34, Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. You see this? If you're a, you a Jewish believer and you're singing this psalm, you're thinking of Abraham. You're thinking of a land promise. But the language is such that they ought to, by grace, see beyond the land. For the patriarchs, they did not receive the promises, Hebrews chapter 11. They were seeking a, a greater place, a heavenly city, whose maker and builder is God's. But yet the language of Abraham is a language of inheritance. And so in the people of God, they face captivity. And they're warning, they're warned about their sin. And they're going to be taken to Babylon. And the promise of restoration comes in the latter chapters of Isaiah. Isaiah 55, 65, sorry, verse number 9 says, And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains. Now we saw when we read those chapters, those chapters point forward to the new heavens and the new earth. The same language used in Isaiah. The Bible is so stuck together in these things. There's no breaking in the biblical themes. Abraham's given a promise. You're going to be the heir of the world. And the people of God in the Old Testament, they sing praises to God in prospect of their inheritance. And you get to Isaiah, you're going to have the inheritance. And then what happens when you get to the New Testament? Christ says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The earth. Not so much the skies and the heavens and the clouds and the angelic host, but inherit the earth. So turn uh, to Acts chapter 20. Because when the apostles come to preach the gospel even to the Gentiles, they emphasize the concept of an inheritance. Acts chapter 20, the verse number 32. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Acts 26 and the verse number 18. Whenever the Lord instructs Paul regarding his ministry, he is to open their eyes. He's to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. You know, dear child of God, if I can pause for a second in this biblical survey. You may have nothing on this world, but one day you will inherit all this world. The promise is that those who are righteous and those who are meek by God's grace and by God's Christ, they shall inherit the earth. These are the promises given to the sanctified and to the saints. If we are children, then we're heirs, joint heirs with Christ. Because the unrighteous, 1 Corinthians 6, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but such were some of you, and others you shall inherit the kingdom of God. It's all language of an inheritance. And so turn lastly to Galatians chapter 3. For in Galatians chapter 3, again, this ties everything together. 
In the verse number 29, And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You're the heirs of Abraham's promise. And his promise was that he would be the heir of the world, that he would inherit the earth. That's his promise. And so we're born again unto an inheritance, First Peter. We have this inheritance that is uncorruptible, it's undefiled, it's reserved in heaven for us, but it's our certain inheritance. And so when you go back to Revelation chapter 21 and you consider verse number 7, and it says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. That's Abraham's promise. And verse number 7 says, I will be his God and he shall be my son. That's David's promise. Abraham and David, Matthew chapter 1, Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and we're in Christ. Abraham, David, all come together, and their promises are ours. Mind-blowing. If you can have the grace to see these things and to see the glorious future that God has for all of his elect, not in themselves, not in their righteousness, but in virtue of God's grace that brings them into the covenant community, not just Jews, but Gentiles who believe in Christ Jesus. We are heirs of the promise, being Abraham's seed. You see, in the end, when you get to Revelation 21, you get to the point where you say, Lord, all your promises do come to pass. Even the promise that Abraham will have the land. All of these things, they come to pass. And so you read the language of verse number 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And sometimes your mind, it, it struggles to even begin to, begin to grasp the concept of all things. But the all things are explained for us. Verse number 5. Behold, I make all things new. So what are the all things that are made new? It is the new heavens and the new earth. And we inherit these things. They belong to us. And we reign with Christ. We have dominion with Christ forever and forever. And so we are heirs according to the promises of Abraham. This is a reminder to us of a physical resurrection. And one day when we will be raised, those of us who, who will die and be buried, one day we shall be raised. Eden shall be restored. The second Adam perfects God's creation he undoes all that Adam did, and he does what Adam did not do. And he redeems a people unto himself who will never, ever, ever fall. The eternal state of glory in the presence of God, where there is joy everlasting. That is the prospect, that is the covenantal prospect for all those who are in Christ Jesus. And so you have the language of covenant. Right. The last two words are very, very brief. You have the note of confidence here. He that overcometh shall. Just that one word, shall. Confidence here. Why? Because God's covenantal promises cannot be broken. Because these promises are they're couched in the language of covenant. All the way through the Bible, we have the assurance that God cannot fail to keep his word because he cannot fail to honor his name. The promise is there. The power is there also. If you read chapters 17 and following, you will see that nothing can overthrow Christ. No beast, no dragon, no deceiver. Nothing can frustrate Christ in achieving his purposes. 
And so this promise we can say with confidence it shall come to pass. Furthermore, we know that the purpose of God is to bring this to pass. Verse 5, I make all things new. No one can stop God. No, can, no one can say to God, what doest thou? None can stay his hand. He is the eternal sovereign God. And if we are to live by faith, we must hold on to these principles. That's what it is to live by faith. It's to understand what the Bible says. And we see this world, and we see the chaos and the confusion, and we see the corruption and all the sin, and we, we find ourselves, we're unstable, we're concerned, we're worried. No need. No need at all. He that overcometh shall inherit all things without any doubt, without any concern. That's the confidence. And finally, we see the contrast. Now, the contrast is seen here between those who overcome and those who are lost in verse number 8. Now, those that overcome, they shall inherit all things, but the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, and then these various sins are listed, they shall have their part in the lake which burn with a fire and brimstone. You see, this day, the day when the heavens are melted away, this day is the day of decision, the day of final judgment, the day of division between the lost and the saved. And you have an insight into what overcoming faith looks like. If we are overcomers, we are not fearful, but we are courageous. If we are overcomers, we are not unbelieving, but faithful. We are not ungodly, but we're marked by integrity. And we are this by regeneration, by the work of God in our hearts, whereby we're given a new heart, and we come to trust in Christ. So we are not the unbelieving, verse number eight. We trust in Christ and his promises. And we're not living in fear. We're living in courage, because we do not have a spirit of fear, but of power and a sound mind. We know what it is to, to hold on to the promises of God, oh, oh, by grace alone. But we still truly do. And so those who are born again of the Spirit of God, they're, they're not guilty of these unrepentant sins. Oh yes, for some, it will be said of them, such were some of you. You're like the Thessalonians. Once you were idolaters, but now you serve the living and true God. You've been converted. You've been born again. But it cannot be said of you that you are now a sorcerer or an idolater. You're a child of God. You've been born again. And so we see these promises. Don't you want to overcome? Well, you won't do it in your own strength. You only do it in the strength of God. And so overcome. Go forward upon your knees. And that by His grace one day you will inherit all things. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.